Hi, my name's Karen O'Connor and welcome to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So we're going to talk about your concussion. Cool. And <laughs> you got all shy now. I don't know what to say on a podcast. Well, just so we're just going to have a conversation, right? So a few years ago, was it five years ago, six years ago? Five years Um, ago, July 1st, 2015. Right. You were trying out a horse and he chucked you off and you hit the side of the arena with some force. I mean, it was a good two and a half, three metres away and you you actually crashed into it headfirst. And then three weeks later, you were on another horse uh, who decided she didn't want to be ridden and threw you off and you landed on the same side of your head with enough force to actually break your helmet. So it was a pretty serious thing. And cut a long story short, we then spent the next six months in and out of hospital and doctor's appointments and specialist appointments and chiropractors and whatever else to try. And it was sort closer you out. to a year. Well, it, it was it was a year that we were doing all the all the appointments, but it was six months of intense appointments, and you also yeah, missed you also missed the second half of year ten completely because um, yeah, and then I was part time at school for the first half of year eleven. That's right. So like a kindergartner going in two days a week. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was the main impact that it had on you the main effect that it had on you was that it damaged your optical processing center so you couldn't focus your eyes on things and you couldn't change focus so looking from going from looking at the whiteboard in the classroom to looking at a computer screen to reading a book you simply couldn't do that that made you feel nauseous and it just gave you migraines it also impacted your balance so Mm. you lost the ability to turn to your left without falling over honestly I lost the ability to do so much more than that like sitting in a car took an insane amount of concentration to make sure that I stayed upright like just driving from home to school not even a crazy car trip it was just like I had to hold on to the side otherwise I was gonna fall over Wow. Okay. You see, you didn't actually share a lot of this stuff with me while you were going through it. Yeah. Well, the thing that school always used to say, I mean, I think my school was a lot different to others, but they used to say, if you're too sick to go to school, you're too sick to ride the horse. So I <laughs> guess it was a really unique school, but <laughs> I, I hated that. I wanted to ride and I know I was too sick to go to school, but the more I told people about it and the more I stressed over it and the more, well, it felt in my mind like I was exaggerating it. Definitely wasn't looking back now that I no longer want to ride. The less likely I was to be able to ride for a long time. So let's, we need to actually put this into perspective here. So you were attending an equestrian-based school. So the curriculum included equi skills as a course which was how to look after horses and horse management that kind of thing 
your sports was all equestrian based a lot of it was equestrian based you just did the horses at school so we had three horses at school at one point and that was your whole life you dreamed of being an olympian equestrian oh yeah there was one point that I was waking up every morning at four I would go for my run I would go and I'd feed the horses and I'd ride then I'd go to school would not eat breakfast recess I would go back to the horses and we'd sit in the stables with them and I'd go back to class every free period I would ride another horse I had a class revolving around riding horses every lunchtime I would go and ride a horse and then after school I'd go and have a lesson with somebody and then I'd probably ride a different horse after that so your whole personal training so your whole life revolved around horses that was what it was so the impact of the concussion was that you couldn't actually sit on a horse. I mean, it was downright dangerous anyway because you'd obviously done so much damage to yourself that if you came off again, it was going to be permanent damage. I which think is it's still like that. Well, I was going to say that, it, which is an interesting way of looking at it because the damage that occurred actually is permanent, in some of the damage, certainly. Oh, yeah, just... To me, from what I understood of what the doctors were saying, it was like if you hit that part of your head again, you're not going to survive. Like it wasn't that it'll be permanent, it was that it would be death. You could die, yeah, for sure. So you hit the left side of your head. And, right. <laughs> um, which, yeah, damaged your optical processing centre. It also damaged your, a lot of your hearing and your balance as well. She used to get nauseous all the time. I think the hearing was because of the migraines. I still get it a lot where I can hear that ringing in my ears, the same one that you hear when you're about to pass out. But that was constant for a while and it would make it worse when you would blend smoothies or Keely would play cello or something loud would just be so painful. It's like a really bad hangover. Like constantly for six months. Sunlight was too bright as well. It hurt my head. So there's such a lot of topic to cover here because when we were discussing, talking about this the other day, it actually needs to be, we want to do this over several podcasts. So today really is about the story of what happened and then we'll start building on that because you've done a lot of research lately into the impacts of concussion, haven't you? Yeah, and, and specifically and at the moment, amnesia. And at the moment, this this we're kind of a little bit all over the place because we're filling in the gaps of stuff. It's not necessarily following a logical course, but it's just trying to get fill in as much background information as we can. So when you initially came off, you had a couple of weeks off school, and then when you went back to school and you couldn't do the classes or the exercise the girls started being quite mean to you yeah I think back then I in general wasn't a very kind person I didn't really care about anybody I just cared about writing so asking for sympathy or saying something like that people were like oh you're just being attention seeking it's not real and because they didn't particularly like me they just exacerbated that 
where they were like, oh, come on, you're so dramatic. Everybody's fallen off their horse, Gira. But it more hurt me, the teachers' reactions, because I remember specifically my English teacher, who I absolutely adored and really, really looked up to. I, at one point, said that I was really struggling with class and I couldn't write this essay to save my life. And I'd always been a very good kid in school. I've always tried to impress my teachers. That's what made me get high grades because I don't like disappointing people. So I was practically a straight A student. And I went up to her and I was like, I I can't write this essay. And it was when she was like, if you can't write this essay, then you can't write. You know that, right? And I was like, yes, I know that. I am literally incapable of riding my horse right now. And she just didn't believe me. She was like, I don't think you get it, Kira. Like, if you don't start paying attention now, then you're not going to be able to catch up in year 12 and then you're going to get a bad ATAR and you're not going to get into uni. She was just really horrible about it. And the fact that I'd approached her because I was struggling and she just didn't care. She was like, it's sad to see you dropping off and it's sad to see you stop caring about your grades. It hurt so much. I just, I really, truly was struggling and I didn't want you to think the same thing either. I didn't think the same thing. I was really concerned about you. What what was really upsetting for me was I could see how sick you were and mm. nobody believed me. I kept dragging you down to the doctor and I remember going seeing one doctor with you and I told her what was going on. I think this was about a month or so after you after the actual accident because when when you had that second accident we went to the hospital. <laughs> oh yeah we went down to the hospital and I look at photographs from that time a couple of we got a photograph that was taken a couple of days after you fell and you look like you've had a stroke the left side of your face is actually hanging down lower than the right side of your face but Mm. when we went to hospital and the nurse said to you, the triage nurse said to you, so on a scale of one to ten, how much pain are you in? And you said a four. And I'm looking at you going, are you kidding me? You can hardly talk. <laughs> and so we went into emergency and the doctor just sent you home. And I was absolutely yeah. convinced that you really were at death's door. That was how you looked to me. You were not right. You really, I, you were seriously injured. Yeah, I, I felt that way. I just couldn't understand that I felt that way. It's kind of complicated to think of, but my brain was just so foggy. So I was like, yeah, four, because I'm not dead. Um, <laughs> does not make any sense. <laughs> Good job, Kira. But, yeah, I couldn't remember my name. I couldn't remember my birthday. And when she asked my birthday, that just seemed like one of those questions that I'd turn to you and be like, what's the answer, Mum? That is definitely not a question that you should have to turn to your mum to answer. And I just remember she was so focused on finding out whether my cheekbone was broken. I was like, I'm pretty sure every bone in my body is broken, but can we focus on my head? That's the most painful one. (laughs) That was the start of a a really intense journey to try and get people to believe that there was actually something wrong with you, that you weren't just making all this Mm. up and you weren't trying to scab off school or anything. 
So when I took you to this particular doctor after about a month and I said, you know, she fell off a horse twice, blah, 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 and, and she's this, that and the other, that doctor turned to you and asked you about teenage depression. And yeah. I was really horrified. I'm saying to her, well, she is depressed because she can't do anything, but the depression <laughs> is a symptom. It's not the cause. That's yeah. not why we're here. I was absolutely furious with that doctor. It's hard because a lot of doctors are like, oh, she's a teenage girl. They exaggerate everything. They want attention. But I've always been the type of person, I will exaggerate anything, anything and everything until it's serious. It's like when I broke my arm and I didn't realise it was broken for a good 24 hours. I just, <laughs> well, if something's serious, my brain just goes, you're being dramatic, Kira. <laughs> And I think that's, for me, I'm the same. That's a warning sign for me. When I go into batten down the hatches and I, yeah. I go really calm, that's when it's really, really serious. <laughs> I swear there's times that I've just hit my arm really lightly and I'd be like, oh, my God, it's broken. But the one time that it actually was, I was like, damn, why is my arm swollen? <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> So we need, we need let, let's just tell this story. So what <laughs> happened was after six months of being in and out of all these appointments with you for the concussion, I think one week I spent something absurd like 27 hours taking <laughs> to medical appointments. And we go on a cruise for Christmas and New Year. And I was just like, oh, thank God for that. I just need to relax and chill out. I was so stressed <laughs> out with the whole thing. And the second night of the cruise, you break your arm in a revolving door. And we end up in the medical centre at half past ten at night and the doctor's like, oh, we might have to take an X-ray of it and we might have to do this. It's just so gross. I'm like, stick a Band-Aid on it and give us some Panadol. She'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) And then it turned out to be broken, so I felt really guilty. But I was just, I'd had enough of medical so it's just over it. Um, so going back to let, let's that that's that was a nice little tangent, but <laughs> I kept take having to take you back to the doctors and nobody would believe what was going on. You weren't getting the support at school. School were thinking that you know you were just trying to bludge off. The girls were thinking you were just trying to bludge off. I could see that you were really, really sick. And eventually I was lucky enough to have a friend of mine who's a paediatrician down at the children's hospital in Sydney and I got in touch with him and said there I need to see a specialist and I'd been saying that to the doctors she needs to go and see somebody and he put me on to this sports concussion specialist down at Westmead Children's Hospital and we went down there that was after I'd gone back down to our GP and just bullied him into giving me a referral for it. (laughs) Not interested in discussing this anymore. Just give me the referral. (laughs) I can't tell you how relieved I was when we walked into that specialist rooms and within two minutes he said, she is severely concussed and this is going to take a long, long time for her to recover. I was just so relieved that somebody believed me. And that was an interesting appointment because they gave you all the (laughs) 
they put you on a treadmill first of all didn't they so they gave you all these physical tests and i think you lasted 30 seconds on a treadmill somebody who used to exercise for about five hours a day a few months earlier you lasted 30 minutes on that treadmill and i thought "Mm, 30 seconds 30 seconds sorry and then oh god i was really pushing it to my limits i was like if i don't get off this i'm done you you looked as white as a sheet and then you had to do the mental aptitude test I remember you were sitting there crying you had tears rolling down your face because you're going I just can't think of anything I don't know the answers and I know I should it's hard it was so hard but it was so cool that somebody understood what was going on yeah and, for sure and that was the point where everything turned because the minute that specialist said yes this is what's wrong with it and this is what we need to do and he wrote to school that was where everything changed as far yeah. as support school were brilliant from there on in for, from my point because mm. um, <laughs> they accommodated you going in for a couple of hours a day to socialize and the fact that you weren't going to do any work because you actually physically couldn't do any work was they just let you do it. They just let you get on with it. I don't know. Quickly back to the doctor. I remember after that exam to see my reaction time, we were sitting there and he was like, this is like really concerningly low. And you were like, yeah, her reaction time's always been pretty low though. And I was like, (laughs) sorry. I was like, excuse me. I remember that so clearly because I was like, <laughs> God damn, I'm in hospital and you're just roasting me. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. But um, I, yeah, with school, it was good to be able to go back and not have that pressure. But there were two things that came with that. One was that the other girls, like, if you go to school like you're a kindergartner when you're in year 10, the girls are just sort of, it made it worse. It right. did. But the other thing was they weren't really understanding, especially my maths teacher. I remember when I first went back to school and they were all like, yeah, if you need to leave class, just let me know. And I would. I would leave class and I would fall asleep in the hallway. But my maths teacher just didn't get it at all. I was like, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. And she was like, not in my class, you don't. And I was just... God, I dreaded maths, so I just stopped showing up because she just, like, wasn't understanding at all. Like, I wasn't about to be like, no, I'm about to pass out in the hallway. I, like, can't deal with this. She was just like, sit down and pay attention, Kira. I was like, nah, I I cannot. Because that was the other thing. We found out so much about the impact of concussion during that period I mean we had to because of what was going on because one of the fascinating things was that you were in advanced maths up to that point you were really really good at maths Mm. and after the concussion you couldn't remember any maths up to about year two or three so you couldn't remember your times tables and you couldn't do basic multiplication or addition or subtraction it was the weird thing you could still do a lot of the advanced math stuff but you couldn't do the basic stuff and you had to relearn it 
I remember when you I were getting better. I couldn't relearn it. You could not. Okay. Because that's really interesting because when we got a maths tutor for you, didn't we, when you started feeling better? Yeah. And I was explaining it to him and he said, oh, don't be ridiculous. And all the years I've been doing this, he goes, oh, man, I've never heard of anything like that. And then after his first <laughs> lesson with you, he said, you're quite right. <laughs> yeah. I've never uh, seen anything like this. I really tried my hardest, but I ended up after that. Uh, when you're in year 12, there are four different levels of maths. If I was going on the same path that I was on before my fall, I would have been an advanced to mathematics, right? extension to mathematics, whatever you want to call it. Like that was hard as hell, but I have an engineer for a dad. But I ended up being, so you have tradie maths and then you have general mathematics, which is like, I don't know, year eight maths. I don't know why it's so easy, but it is. And then you have advanced maths and then extension. Right. And I was in general maths and I was in the bottom class for that. And I was close to the bottom of the bottom class with kids who just did not care about their ATAR. And I was really trying. It sucked. Like sitting in that class between kids who were watching pigging videos all through class and they'd get better marks than me on their exams. And I was like, this is not fair. I pay attention. I have a tutor. Why can I not? beat these kids who really like could not care less about school it was hard it's a horrible thing to go through one of the really interesting things that we found out then was that when you have a concussion it actually wipes a lot of the memory so Mm. you're a big portion of your memories just disappear and we're not aware that they've disappeared so that was one of the really hard things for you wasn't it Yeah, because the part of my brain that I hit, I think really damaged my hippocampus, which is like, so when you remember a memory, it goes into this part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex. I don't know. I'm not a neurologist, but that's the part of my brain that I hit. And then it goes through the hippocampus and then it's like filtered into other things. And I think I damaged my hippocampus. So very few of my memories are actually stored short-term memory loss but it was a lot worse closer to the time I remember it would it started off because I remember you yelling at me and you know like I can tell when you ask me to do the dishes that you've asked me four five six times it's very different to the first or second time that you asked me for obvious reasons you get really frustrated (laughs) when we don't do our chores (laughs) but it was it was so confusing because I was like, I don't remember her ever asking me, but it's not like I can be like, oh, sorry, mum, I forgot, because of course that's what I'm going to say. It's always my excuse because it's a great excuse. Then when you actually have forgotten, it's <laughs> like I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh, I can't be like, oh, I forgot. And then I would actually forget that I wanted to bring that up because I didn't want to bring it up while you were yelling at me. And then you would yell at me the next time. And I was like, oh, I forgot to say that. It was very confusing. But it also affected your eyesight as well, didn't it? Oh, definitely. I still can't read very well. I can read for about 20 minutes before I need to take a little nap. But back then it was looking at my phone for two minutes, watching TV for two minutes. 
anything that wasn't staring at the ceiling was just way too much effort and I would need to sleep. God, yeah. I slept a lot. Yes, you did. <laughs> and you needed it. What's really horrifying is that, one, you got sent away from the hospital because they didn't think you were actually injured. Mm. And ongoingly, people treat head injuries as though they're unimportant. They don't yeah. treat them with any kind of seriousness. And yet here you are five years later, and they did say at the time that it would probably be five, take five years for you to recover. But you're just discovering now, or we're just realising now that it's actually permanent damage. Yeah. And we've got to now put structures in place to deal with that because the memory loss and the issues with memory retention isn't going away, is it? No, no, it's really not. And, um, and being able to read isn't going away and they expected it to. I actually don't know if that's dyslexia, though. I don't know. That's It's a hard one to tell. I didn't realise that it was an issue. I just thought that reading was a hard thing to do until I was talking to Ryan, like, a week ago, and he was like, oh, I'm just going to go read. My brain needs to relax. And I was like, um, I'm reading doesn't relax your brain he was like he was like do you get relaxed when you watch tv and I was like yeah obviously because your brain isn't doing anything and he was like it should be the same thing for reading Kira and I was like (laughs) wow uh it's not (laughs) and I really don't know whether that's that I'm dyslexic or whether that's that I have a brain injury or maybe it's both I'm not sure but reading is one of the hardest things I have to do It's really interesting because I thought it it was a little bit horrifying that even in year 12, you had to have special provisions during your HSC exams, during your final exams, because you still at that point couldn't read for more than 20 minutes at a time. Is that right? You had to go out every half hour or something. So you had to have a 10-minute break every half hour during all of your exams. So even two and a half years after the accident, you still had to have those special provisions, which I, was I thought. Still, yeah, I was still very ill in year 12. I just, um, again, didn't want to say it because I didn't want to have to repeat. That would have been hell. But I remember the concussion specialist saying something about that. He was like, I don't think you should be doing year 12 yet. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was somebody else. Somebody mentioned that they think I should take a year off and do year 12 a year later. And I was like, absolutely not. But I, yeah, every time that I went to go study, I would tell my friends that I'm studying and I would fall asleep at my desk. I did not study at all in year 12. I do remember that conversation about you skipping year 12 and it was a decision that we made based on it being best for you on a social and emotional level to keep going to school rather than take a year off because... So you can always do year 12 again. That was the point. But it was more important for you to stay around your group of friends because by this time you'd actually move schools. So you got halfway through year 11 at the equestrian school mm. and decided to move to another school because it was horrible for you. By that time you'd had so much, you were so uncomfortable in the school uh, with the teachers, with the friends, with everything, 
that... being surrounded by horses it's like a terrible breakup and having to see your ex every day and we've just bought you your dream horse and you couldn't yeah. ride him yeah so, my birthday it... about two months after my fall you guys got me so much horse gear like it was only horse gear well that, never got that to was... really use it Never got to use it, no. And that was what we did. You're only ever interested in getting horse gear. Because we didn't we didn't realise that it would be such a permanent condition. No. I think. It just got longer and longer. It was like, oh, I'll take a couple of days off riding. I'll take a week yeah. off, take a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And even then it was when, five years and now it's forever. <laughs> well, it might not be. We'll have to go find another specialist and work on it. But even like two or three months after the second fall, and do you remember when you were bathing Rusty and he slipped and knocked you over and you actually passed out again just from the force of being knocked over? Yeah, I did. To be fair, I hit my head on a concrete wall. No, I don't think you did. No, I did. You hit your head. Hit the back of my head. Right. Yeah, probably didn't share that either because I didn't want to go back to hospital. Also, I was more worried about him because he just landed straight onto the concrete. Also, nearly on my foot. God, it was so close. It, that was terrifying, yeah. Me, me and, and Flick just went, oh, my gosh, ran down and Rusty's scrabbling to get up. It's not the first time Rusty's lost his footing. But that was absolutely terrifying because you would just lay there not moving. Yes. It was just horrible. How does it impact your daily life physically now? So not in terms of reading or doing anything like that. How has it impacted your ability to do things in a physical sense, you know, exercise or movement? Yeah, there are definitely several aspects to that. I think the most obvious of them was I rode a couple months ago for the first time in four years. When that horse started pig rooting, I feared for my life rather than injury. But in terms of my life in Melbourne, if I do something like running or something that moves your head a lot, I can feel my brain like move around in my head. I don't know how to explain it, but I get the worst headaches. It's not quite a migraine anymore. It's just like... You become very conscious of your brain. When I was working full time, you know, five days a week, nine to five, I would have to sleep all day Saturday. Kind of just thought it was a normal thing. Again, apparently not. Um, <laughs> you can't drink alcohol either, can you? No. As soon as I have one drink, I completely black out for the rest of the night. Like I, I know which alcohols won't give me a hangover drinking you know a normal amount but any alcohol that I drink it's completely I cannot remember anything that happens from that night and it's not that I'm crazy drunk because I'm such a heavyweight I've really got dad's genes but it's just I just black out I don't know what it's like to drink and be able to remember which apparently a lot of people do (laughs) and red wine will make me feel like I'm hungover as soon as I have a sip. I don't know what it is about that, but it just absolutely kills me. Like as soon as I have finished one glass, I just want to go and kill myself. 
my head hurts so much. <laughs> so you yeah. can't do high impact anything. Do you still have, because I know when you were having driving lessons a few years ago, when you were still at school on the property, and even when you first went down to Melbourne and you were having driving lessons, you couldn't steer the car to the left, could you? No, I have absolutely no idea if I could do that now. It's that I couldn't see to the left, which yeah. is somebody who's already terrified of driving. It's kind of scary to not be able to see the whole road. And I accidentally ran over a tree stump one time and dad got really mad at me because he was like, how could you not see that? And I was like, it wasn't in my eyesight. He was like, well, it was in mine. <laughs> Don't know how that helps me. You could have told me that it was there, but whatever. <laughs> so when you say you can't see to the left, is it because there is a blind spot to the left? No, it's more that I can't focus to the left. And because right. it's so out of focus, I can't pay attention on those things. Yeah, like the left side of my eyesight, like far left towards where my shoulder is. It, I just can't pay attention to anything there. It's strange to explain. I remember when we went to the chiropractor a few weeks after he'd had the fall and we were really fortunate because he'd just completed a neurology course as I remember. And he did no actual physical work on you. He just gave you exercises to do and helped work on your eyesight and stuff. He was fantastic. Yeah, he was brilliant. It made such a difference for you, those exercises, because you really couldn't stand upright for any length of time without starting to fall over. And as soon as you turned, you'd just lose your balance completely. Mm. But I remember him doing this exercise with you he said I want you to look straight ahead and he put this stripey scarf up in front of you and he moved it from side to side and you went actually green I thought oh I forgot how hard those were like I I remember right no I remember one of his exercises, he was like, okay, I want you to stand on one leg and then close your eyes. And I couldn't do that. So he was like, stand on both legs and close your eyes. And I just, I couldn't. It was so hard. I was like, I don't think people can normally balance with their eyes closed. And they were like, Kira, yes, they can. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the biggest thing. It's because it happened when I was 15 and I can't really remember like a lot from what life was like before then because I didn't pay attention to most things. I can't tell what's normal life and what's a symptom of my fall yeah I understand and he gave you these exercises to do that you had to put your arm out in front of you and put your thumb up and then swing your arm out to the left hand side and follow it with your eyes without turning your head and you were absolutely incapable of doing it you just couldn't (laughs) I'm looking up and down, you know, following your thumb up and down and that kind of thing. It was, and for me watching it, it was absolutely heartbreaking mm. to to see somebody who'd been so active and as a horse rider you've got to be really balanced and really yeah. fit go to not being able to stand upright if you had your eyes closed. Yeah, it was definitely hard. Yeah, it's weird thinking back to those times. So I still don't, like I exercise every day, but I still don't think I'm very active compared to what I was back then. I'm definitely not compared to what I was back then, but I always compare myself to back then when I would 
you know, run at every opportunity, ride at every opportunity. And now I'm like, should I still be like that? And swimming, you used to do a lot of swimming, and but you weren't able to even turn your head for a couple of years, were you, to, no. to do freestyle, to breathe to the side or anything. You couldn't do it. Getting back into swimming was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I, I kept telling myself that it was just because I was unfit, but I would just, I'd finish a swimming lesson, like the easiest swimming lessons I've ever done in my life. And I would feel like I was about to pass out and vomit. I was so sick. And that was years after my fall. And I was, I'd just, I'd never been unfit in my life. So I was like, I don't know whether this is being unfit or whether this is an issue. Kind of a hard thing to tell though, you know, when you'd had a six pack since you were like born. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of your, you know, doing work, because you're at university now and you're doing a photography course, we bought you a camera, didn't we? When you'd fallen off the horse and yes. you couldn't go to school, we got you a camera to try and give you an, an interest to do that didn't involve reading because you couldn't watch TV for any length of time. You couldn't read a book at all. No. You couldn't really do anything other than sit there. So we thought, okay, we'll get her a camera because it doesn't really require you to put too that much was, effort into the visual thing. That was the best idea you've ever done, partly because now I'm invested in photography, but like all the research that I've done, I can back it up so much as to why photography is so important, particularly for amnesia as a symptom of head injuries, which I'll talk about at a later date. Yeah, that's a whole other topic that we want to talk about, isn't it? But this yeah. this discussion now came about because I think one of your lecturers didn't realise that you had a traumatic brain injury, which is what serious concussions called. Oh, yeah, two of them, yeah. <laughs> what happened? So all of our classes have to link up to our main folio. And for the past year, my main folio has been surrounding my concussion and struggles with memory. And in my video class, she was like, all right, so I want your final video to be something to do with your main folio. So I was explaining it and I was like, yeah, my main folio is to do with amnesia and head injuries. And she was like, oh, okay, that's a bit random. Is that something that you went through? And I was like, yes. She was like, why is it not on your medical records then? And I'm still pretty sure that it's on my medical records. I don't know why I wouldn't put it on there. I just don't think the teachers check that. Also, it's not something that you wanted to highlight to people and you still don't because you said the other day that you were hesitant to put it on your medical record or talk about it in case it means people won't employ you or whatever. Oh, definitely. I don't think my past employed you at all because it's, yeah, it's definitely something where you're like, oh, she has brain damage because I do. Why would I hire her? which is a horrible, horrible thing to think because I'm, I can still function. I've learned how mm. to deal with it. It's not great, but I know how to manage it. But I definitely feel like people wouldn't hire me because of that. So I don't know. I think it's best to keep it off the resume. But then again, people, you know, once you do have a job, they need to know in case something happens because if some, an accident does happen at work, 
and you knock your head for whatever reason, they need to know because it's going to be serious. That's true. It's in the medical idea of my phone, you know, in case they call an ambulance or something. Right. So I think we ought to finish it up there, dude. I think we've covered enough for today. Yeah, we've covered a lot, I think, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think we definitely have. Can't remember. That's five years of my life. There's a lot to cover. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for talking about this. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Mum. Oh, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. Talking about it. It's interesting that you didn't tell me a lot of the stuff that you were experiencing. That's fascinating. But I can understand it as well. Yeah, probably not a great move. We all have our flaws. Uh, well, we live and learn, don't we? Yep. Sure. Goodbye. <laughs> thank, Love you. Thank you so much. Love you all. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Don't forget that all the links and information that we've spoken about in this podcast is available on the podcast page of my website. Thanks so much for listening. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next time. Bye for now.